Well, this morning we are continuing in this series that we started last week called Mad. So everybody just grit your teeth and just get a fist and look at your neighbor and say, I'm mad. Come on. Now, I know you go, man, they're not supposed to be mad in church. That doesn't seem very positive. But I believe that even in a very negative kind of a situation, negative kind of a topic that we're talking about today, that God wants to do some positive things in your life. In fact, he's already began to do that as we've been studying this subject that really is something that's prevailing in our culture today. I don't know if you have noticed, but in our culture, it just seems like everybody's mad. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, And it's not just everybody else. It's sometimes it's even me. In fact, I just found myself kind of feeling this way a little bit this morning. I woke up, I opened up my opened up my phone and looked at Facebook. How I many you know that's not a good idea, right? And I looked at Facebook, I saw somebody posted something that I agreed with, and then I looked at the comments and people were saying stuff that I didn't agree with. And I even this morning, when I'm gonna come teach about being mad, I found myself being a little bit frustrated and mad. Come on, anybody ever been there before, right? And I mean, it's just kind of this prevailing undercurrent that we see in our culture today that the world's just gone mad and people are upset and angry and offended all the time. You see it on Facebook, you see it in the news, you see the things that are happening where people are, I mean, racial tension and all this stuff happening in politics and all of this kind of stuff that is happening in our world today. And it would be easy to go, man, I can't believe what's going on except for the fact that we shouldn't be surprised because the Bible told us this is how things were going to be. In fact, Jesus predicted that this is how culture would wind up. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at this prediction. If you want to go ahead and open up with me and turn to the book of Matthew, to this passage that we've been kind of using as a, as a guide for this series. It's in Matthew chapter 24. And Jesus is actually talking about, here's what things are going to be like in the last days. And he gives all these signs of what things are going to be like, that nation's going to rise up against nation. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars. There's going to be all kinds of deception that's going to be happening. There's going to be all kinds of terrible natural disasters, floods and earthquakes and all this stuff. And then right there in the middle of all these signs that he gives, he gives us another sign that is not necessarily one that we would actually associate with in times. And yet I think it's something that we're actually seeing in the days that we're living today, a sign of the end times. And we see this in Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 10. Let's look at it together. It says, and then Many will be what? Everybody say it aloud. Many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus says in the last days and maybe even in the days that we're living in today might even be the last days because we see this sign that is happening happening everywhere that we look that many not just some not just a few many are offended and let me tell you something today is it's not just in the world it's not just people who aren't christians it's actually happening among christians it happens among the church in fact i believe this is the enemy's strategy that the enemy wants to get us so angry and so offended and so frustrated with life and with others that maybe even if he can kind of divide us just a little bit in the church and maybe get us mad at a brother at church or a sister at church or someone in our life group or a pastor or something happens and we're offended that he knows that if he can do that if he can get us divided then he can keep us from accomplishing all that God wants us to accomplish as a church and as the people of God. 
So we decided that in this series, we're just going to talk about this subject. We're going to talk about what is it that's making us mad and what do we do about it? Last week, we just talked about some of those people that are just kind of mad at the world. Anybody know people like that? It's just like everything. Today, we're going to talk about what happens when I'm mad at a brother. Like what happens when it's someone who's another Christian or someone that I love and why am I offended and why am I mad and what do we do about that? And so to do that, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to look at three different instances in the Bible of brothers who became mad at their brother. And we're going to talk about what happens when I'm mad at my brother. So if you're taking notes, let's look at the first one. The first one is this. It's a very familiar story. Most of you know it. It's the story of the prodigal son. How many remember the story of prodigal son, right? And there were two brothers in the prodigal son. The Bible says that there was a man, a father who had two sons and his youngest son came to him and said, I don't want to wait till you die. I want my inheritance now. So he takes the inheritance. He goes and we know the story. He blows the inheritance on all kinds of crazy living and all that stuff. And one day he wakes up and goes, what am I doing? Why am I here? I could go home and the father will accept me back. And so he comes home and we know the story that the father who represented God, he, he welcomes him back and he says, oh, I love you. Come back in. I don't want you to just be a servant, but I want you to be a son. And he puts the, you know, the royal ring on him and puts the robe and the whole deal. And when he comes back, the older brother in the story, instead of being excited that his brother who had been gone, who they thought was dead, now is discovered to be alive. Instead of being excited, what happens with the older brother? He's mad, right? In fact, we see it in the book of Matthew uh, or in the book of Luke. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 15. Look what it says in verse 28. It says, and the older brother became what? Everybody say it aloud. Became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him and he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you, never disobeying your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But then when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. I mean, here's this older brother who goes, man, this is not fair and I'm mad. And why was he mad? In fact, if you're taking notes, this is your little fill in the blank. Why was he mad? Because of pride. Everybody say pride. He was mad. I've been here doing what I'm supposed to do. Look at me. I'm right. And my younger brother is wrong. Right? Isn't that what pride does? Pride basically says, I'm right and you're wrong. Pride basically says, really, there's only two ways, my way and the wrong way. Anybody ever know anybody like that, right? And that's kind of how we live now. We would never say that out loud. It's just kind of this attitude that sometimes we have when we have pride in our heart. I mean, maybe there's some kind of current event or maybe there's some kind of political thing that's going on. And so we just know that the way we view it and our opinion on it is the right opinion. And so we have to share the right opinion that we have. And anybody that has any other opinion besides us is wrong. How many know what I'm saying, right? Maybe it happens in your marriage sometimes. I mean, you know what? Everybody knows that the toilet paper roll is supposed to go over and not under, right? Like that's the right way and the other way is the wrong way. And in, in our, you know, at work and in every situation in our life, here's what happens is sometimes we get this pride in our heart that says, I'm right and everybody else is wrong. And you know what the scripture says about, about pride? It actually, it actually tells us what it does in Proverbs 13 and verse 10. Look what it says. It says pride leads to what? Everybody say it. Pride leads to arguments. Why do you think you got arguments in your marriage? 
Why do you think you have arguments like when you get the family together and all the extended family comes together and it's like so tension, so, so much tension and frustration and all that stuff? How many know what I'm saying, right? Why do you think that is? Most of the time it's because pride. It's because I have a pride in my heart that says I'm wrong and they, or I'm, I'm not wrong, I'm right and they're wrong. Let's get this right here, right? Like I'm right and they're wrong and everybody's else's opinion, everybody is wrong except me. And you know what that leads to? It leads to anger and frustration and conflict in our relationships and we can never see anything through anybody else's perspective. We only see it through our own eyes. In fact, it kind of reminds me of this story I heard about a man who was just, I mean, he was sick and tired of going to work every day while his wife just stayed home. And so he prayed, dear Lord, I go to work every day. I put in eight hours while my wife merely stays at home. I want her to know what I go through every day. So please, Lord, allow her body to switch with mine just for a day. Amen. Well, God in his infinite wisdom granted the man's wish The next morning, sure enough, the man woke up and he was in his wife's body and she was in his. He arose. He cooked breakfast for his mate. He awakened the kids. He fed them breakfast. He taught them English and math and put all of them in the car and picked up the dry cleaning and took it to the cleaners and stopped at the bank to make the deposit and went to the grocery store and then drove home to put away the groceries. He paid the bills and balanced the checkbook. He cleaned the kitty litter's uh, box and bathed the dog by the then it was one o'clock, so he hurried and he made the bed, he did the laundry, he vacuumed, he dusted, he swept, and he mopped the kitchen floor. He taught the kids their science and their social studies. Now it's 4.30, and so he's got to drop one kid off at the scout meeting and another at soccer practice and the third at piano lessons. Then he went home to set up the ironing board and do the ironing, and now it's 6.30, so he's got to start peeling the potatoes and washing the vegetables for the salad and, and cooking the pork chops and doing all the dinner. And after dinner, he cleans up the kitchen kitchen and he runs the dishwasher and he folds the laundry and he bathes the kids and he puts them to bed and finally it's nine o'clock and all the chores aren't done but he somehow makes it into bed only to discover that that his wife wanted to you know okay and so somehow somehow he gets enough he gets up enough energy to make love and and manage all through all of that and without even complaint the next morning he wakes up and immediately he kneels beside his bed and says, Lord, I don't know what I was thinking. I was so wrong to envy my wife. That was just pride. Please make it change where I can go to work and she stays home all day. Please let us trade back. The Lord in his infinite wisdom replied, my son, I feel you. And you have learned your lesson. And I will be happy to change things back to the way they were. But you're going to have to wait nine months because you got pregnant last night. How many know that's what pride does? Pride says my way is the only way. Pride doesn't put itself in anybody else's shoes. And guess what happens? It causes conflict and anger. Number two, write this one down. Second story that I see in the scripture of a brother that gets mad at another brother is, is the story, the story of Cain and Abel. How many remember their story? 
We find it in Genesis chapter 4. You might remember that they both brought sacrifices to the, Lord, to the Lord. And for whatever reason, we don't know exactly why. Maybe it was something that was in Cain's heart. But for whatever reason, God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he didn't accept Cain's sacrifice. And man, just a tragic story that Cain becomes so angry at his brother that the anger becomes hatred. And the hatred turns to, I mean, just crazy stuff where it winds up where Abel is murdered and Cain finds himself in exile on the run. I mean, tragic what can happen when we allow anger towards a brother to get out of control in our life. And what was the reason that Cain was angry at Abel? This is in your notes. Write this down. The reason was jealousy. Everybody say jealousy. Jealousy. Here's, here's the reason that a lot of us are angry at a brother is we're jealous. We look at their life and we go, I, they've got something that I wish I had. And because they have something that I wish I had, then I'm mad at them. In fact, we studied a little bit about jealousy in a series that we did about a year ago, back in the Church Sin series. If you weren't here then, you might want to go back and look at the podcast or listen to the podcast. But I, I want to bring back the definition kind of that we talked about jealousy back then. And I want to bring it back to your memory today. If you're taking notes, you might write this down. The definition of jealousy basically is this, resent. God's goodness in the lives of others while ignoring God's goodness in our own life. I'm telling you, nothing will cause conflict, nothing will cause resentment and anger and bitterness more in our relationships than jealousy. When we start looking at others and going, why do they have it and I don't have it, and we start finding ourselves envious and jealous of others, man, I'm telling you, you will find yourself mad at the world and mad at God and mad at everybody else. In fact, James talked about it like this in James chapter 3 and verse number 15. He says, for jealousness and selfish, or jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and look at this word. Everybody say it aloud. And what? And demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every other kind of evil. The Bible says, hey, sometimes we think jealousy is not really a big deal. The Bible says it's demonic. It's not of God. It's of the enemy. And when we allow jealousy to begin to come in our lives and in our relationships, the Bible says that that leads to all kinds of other evil and disorder in our lives. This is what happens with with Cain. He allowed jealousy that led to anger, that led to hatred, that led to murder. And some of you go, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to do like that. It's not going to go that far. But how can this play out in some of your own lives? Well, maybe it happens in your family. And I, I, maybe you're even grown and you're your brother, and you're, but you've got, this, you've got this resentment in your heart towards a brother who even because maybe when you were, maybe when you were young, your dad maybe favored him because he was at, good at sports and athletics and you weren't very good at sports. And so now you've got this jealousy in your heart towards him. Maybe it would happen in a work relationship where, hey, they got the raise and I didn't get the raise and so now I'm mad. Or they got the better office that I wanted and they got the position that I want and so I'm, not, so I'm mad. Or they make more money than me and I've been here longer and so I'm mad. And there's this jealousy that happens. It happens in churches. Well, they made it on the worship team and I didn't get on the worship team. Or the pastor played golf with them and he didn't even go to dinner with us and I'm jealous. Come on, how many know what I'm saying? It even happens among pastors. It's ugly, and I hate to even admit it, but it's there. It's growing through Facebook, and why is their church growing more than ours or faster than ours? And why did so-and-so leave our church and go to their church? Or people like their podcast more than mine. And all of this stuff that, you know what the Bible calls it? Demonic. It's ugly. And you know why? Because it brings about this strife in these relationships that we have. And God wants us, wants us to have love in our hearts for others, but 
Jealousy brings about anger. Number three, write this one down. Man, this is a big one. Jacob and Esau, remember, remember their story? Remember that they were born and Esau was the oldest. And because he was the oldest, he was supposed to get the birthright. In their culture, what that basically meant was it meant that if you were the oldest, you would have the blessing of the father, which meant you got a bigger inheritance than everyone else. Well, it didn't mean Jacob didn't get an inheritance. It just meant that Esau's was going to be a bigger inheritance. And so he was upset about that. And so, man, you go, it's, it's a crazy story. You got to go read it in Genesis chapter 27, I think it is. Go read it and see, like Jacob and his mom plot against their own, the brother, their own son to steal away the inheritance. And you just put yourself in Esau's, in Esau's shoes for just a minute. Imagine the hurt. That's your blank that you fill in the hurts. Imagine the hurt that he would have felt. Imagine how it would have felt to know that, man, you know, my own brother plotted to steal from me something that I deserve. My own mom came against me to get something that I deserve. And isn't that the way that it happens sometimes? The reason that we have this anger in our hearts sometimes is because people who should have loved us and people who should have even protected us do things to hurt us. And isn't it true that when someone that you really love hurts you, it hurts more than when someone else hurts you? Isn't that true? I mean, isn't that what David was talking about in the scripture in in Psalm? Psalm chapter uh, 55 and verse 12, it says, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure that. If a foe were rising up against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my closest friend. David says, hey, I could have taken it if somebody that I don't hardly even know said something about me or hurt me in some way. But when it's someone that I love and I know, I mean, in this instance, my own brother and my own mom, man, that, that hurt goes deep. You think about Esau, man, he had a reason to be hurt. I mean, it was understandable that he would be angry at his brother. And yet, even though he had a reason to be hurt, he didn't have a right to hold on to that hurt. He held on to that hurt. And you see what happens in his life. You go and read his story, that 20 years worth of turmoil and struggle and strife and all of this stuff that could have been avoided if he would have been able to let go of the hurt and the anger that he felt towards his brother. And let me just tell you something. The longer you hold on to the hurt, the more it's going to eventually hurt you. So you go, well, what do I do? Like, maybe I find myself in this way. Like, maybe it's pride in my heart and I can't just seem to let go of you know, I got to be right all the time. Or maybe it's a jealousy thing. And I look at others and I go, why are they blessed? And I'm not. And maybe it's, maybe it's a hurt thing that someone has hurt me. And I, man, I don't know. I don't know what to do about it. What do I do? Well, I just want to talk about here today. You got to make a choice. Everybody say, make a choice. You got to make a choice. In fact, there are three choices that we're going to have to make. If we're going to overcome this anger, this resentment, sometimes that we feel towards a brother. The first, the first choice is this, if you're taking notes, write it down. We're going to choose celebration over competition. Here's what we're going to choose. We're going to choose that, that we're going to celebrate God's goodness in the lives of others. Rather than competing, rather than like, I've got to be first and I've got to be better. No. You know what the scripture tells us to do? The scripture tells us that we ought to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You know, sometimes it's easy to mourn with someone who mourns, but not so easy to rejoice with those who rejoice. How many know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes it's easy when someone's going through a hard time. We're just like, I'm glad I'm not the one going through a hard time. I love you, buddy. You know, right? But when someone gets something that we really wanted and we're jealous about it, it's a little bit harder to celebrate that, right? But in the scripture, man, we see a guy 
who exemplified this more than anybody I've, I've ever seen in the scripture, a guy named Jonathan. You may remember the story. Jonathan was King Saul's son. So he was the rightful heir to the throne. He should have been the next king, but God had another plan. And so you remember, David was anointed at the, as the next king, which meant that Jonathan would not be able to be the next king. And so Jonathan should have been and could have been jealous in his heart and angry towards David. And in fact, his own dad was jealous and was and was threatened by it, tried to kill David. But instead, Jonathan, instead of being jealous, instead of being angry towards David, instead, he began to celebrate what God was doing in David's life. In fact, we, we see it right here in this passage in, in 1 Samuel 23 and verse 17. Jonathan says, don't be afraid of my father Saul, for he will not lay a hand on you and you will be king over Israel. And what does he say? He says, I will be what? I will be second to you. Think about that, man. That's not something that happens very much in our culture today that we want to go. I'm first and I want to get what I want. And as long as what I've got is better than yours, then I can celebrate you. But if you ever get something that's better than mine or something that I wanted that, that you got and I didn't get, then I'm jealous of you. But God says, here's what we do. Instead, instead of being jealous of others, instead of life being about, especially in the body of Christ, being about a competition. No, it's about a celebration. Because here's what you've got to understand, guys. We're not in competition with one another. In the body of Christ, some people are the hand. Some people are the foot. Some people the nose. Some people the eyes. Some people, some people are the mouth. And they're really good at that, all right? But here's the deal. is the eyes don't go to the feet and go, man, I'm jealous of you because I'm an eye and you're a foot. And you get to wear all the cool shoes and I don't even have to wear glasses or whatever. I'm being silly. But no, the foot or the eye just recognizes I'm an eye. And so this is what I do. And I don't have to be jealous of somebody else because not everybody's the same as me. And not everybody's on the same place in the same plane and the same level as me. So here's what I'm going to do. Instead of being jealous of somebody else, instead of competing with someone else, I'm going to celebrate what God is doing in their lives. And some of you go, well, I just don't know who I am. Am I an I? Am I an ear? Am I? You know what? If you want to know, here's how you find out. You get into the life track. We just, you saw it on the video starting next week. You get in there and in there, we're going to teach you about your spiritual gifts and about your personality and who God created you to be so that you don't have to compete against everybody else. I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to choose to celebrate Rather than compete. Number two, write this one down. Here's the choice that I'm going to make. I'm going to make the, cho- the choice to trust. Everybody say trust. I'm going to choose trust over, sub- over suspicion. Let me, let me just tell you something. You might want to write this down. The more times we are hurt, the more we tend to see people as potential for pain. Man, that's so good. You need to let that sink in for a second. The more times you're hurt, you know, the more you begin to view people as potential for personal pain in your life. And you know what that causes? It causes suspicion. Someone hurt you, someone did something, someone said something. And so now, instead of trusting people, what do you do? You become suspicious of people. Well, they might hurt me because someone else hurt me. They might say something because someone else said something. And our default mechanism becomes suspicion. Someone comes to us and says, hey, so-and-so said something. And instead of investigating, finding out what they actually said and what they really meant by what they said, instead we just automatically go to, well, I'm mad at them because they said that. And I didn't even talk to them about it. I don't even know what they said, if they said it, what they meant by it. But I'm suddenly just mad at them because I go straight to suspicion rather than trust. But you know what the Bible says about this? The Bible says that love, love doesn't, 
Love doesn't have suspicion for others, but instead the scripture says that love seeks the best in others. That love gives the benefit of the doubt. You go check it out in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's in your notes. You check it out. That love doesn't go, man, you know what? They said something and I don't know if they said it or not, but all of a sudden I'm just going to be mad at them because of something that somebody said that they said or, you know, whatever it is. No, no. Love says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to trust that even if someone else has hurt me, man, God never intended for me to live this life of Suspicion. Elvis said, we can't go on like this with suspicious minds. Come on, that was funnier than y'all laughed. Help me out. I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust. Everybody say, trust. Number three, write this one down. Here's the choice that I'm going to make. I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose God's faithfulness over fairness. But I'm telling you what. You know why so many people are mad all the time? Because we're looking for a life that's fair. We want everything to be fair. I mean, you look at the three stories, that I, the examples that I gave you today. You know what caused a lot of the anger and a lot of the stuff and strife in, in these relationships and in these lives was they were looking for things to be fair. That's not fair. I mean, just imagine the older brother who is younger brother acts like an idiot and goes out and squanders all the inheritance and then comes back and then the dad lets him back in like nothing ever happens, doesn't even punish him. And the older brother's been there the whole time. And can you imagine? He's going, that's not fair. Right? Come on. I mean, you look at, you look at the story of Jacob and Esau, and, and, and here's Esau. He was the oldest. He was supposed to get, he was supposed to get the father's blessing, but it was stolen from him by his brother. And I imagine he's going, wait a second. That's not fair. You think about Cain and Abel. I mean, here's Cain who's going, hey, wait a second. I made a sacrifice just like Abel did, and God accepted Abel's and didn't accept mine. That's not fair. Man, I should have got the promotion and the the boss gave it to the son-in-law instead of me. That's not fair. I should have been the one, but that's not fair. And all the time in life, here's what we're looking for. We're looking for life to be fair, but I'm going to burst your bubble here today, all right? You ready for your your bubble to be burst? Are you ready for me to just drop down a wisdom bomb on you today? I'm telling you, this is going to blow you away. You ready for this? Life's not fair. It's not fact that might be the only thing you hear today and if it is it's the most important thing life's not fair if you're looking for life to be fair here's what's going to happen you're going to be mad and frustrated and disappointed and upset all the time because you think that life should be fair and then when it's not you're going to be disappointed let me just really drop a wisdom bomb on you today (laughs) life's not fair but let me tell you this you don't want it to be so many many of us we fight for fairness but that's not really what we want. Because if you really think about it today, if, if life was fair, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says the wages, the payment of sin, the penalty for our sin is death. So if life was fair, you know what? We would all get death, eternally separated in hell, away from God for all of eternity. If life was really fair, because we've all sinned. And we all fall short. If life was really fair, Jesus would have never come down and given himself on the cross because that's not fair. Here he comes and he's the, he's the only person ever to live without sin. And yet the only sinless person is the one hanging on that cross so that our sin can be forgiven. That's not fair. You say, I want fairness. And we fight for this. For, I want life to be fair. But we don't really want life to be fair. Because if we really got what we deserved, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be good for us. But here's what's so amazing. There's something better than fairness. You know what's better than fairness? God's faithfulness. 
his mercy, his grace. You know what mercy means? Mercy means I don't get what I deserve. You know what grace means? It means I get more than I deserve. So here's the choice that we have to decide. We have to decide. Instead of fighting for fairness, we're going to realize, guess what, guys? Fairness is overrated. You know what isn't overrated? God's faithfulness. And there are times in life, let me just tell you, there are times in life when it's not fair. You get something, man, something happens to you, you didn't deserve it. A person says something or does something or hurts you or abuses you or people that you trusted, people within the body of Christ and the kingdom of God, and they do stuff and it's, and it's hurtful. There are times when you look at others and, they, and you go, why do they have it and I don't? And there are times when all this, and it's, sometimes it's not fair. But if you, you, you can decide today, I'm either going to fight for fairness or I'm going to give up the fight and I'm going to trust God's faithfulness. Because if I fight for fairness, I'm going to be mad and frustrated and upset all the time. Or I can let go of all of that and I can decide, hey, sometimes it's not fair, but God is faithful. And so in the end, you know what Romans 8.28 says? That he works it all together, even the bad stuff. He works it together for my good. And so even though others might hurt me, I can trust that God is always for me. He is faithful. And it reminds me of this passage that I found just as I was really doing my daily devotional a few weeks ago. I wasn't even studying for a message, but it just jumped off the page at me. It's not one that you would think of as a, a devotional passage, and yet it's so powerful. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 6. I'm going to read it from the message, and let me just kind of set it up. Apparently, Paul was talking to the church, church people in Corinth, and apparently there was all this anger and frustration that they, people were having at one another to the point where they were actually taking other Christians to court and suing them for stuff. And Paul begins to talk about it. And look what he says in verse number six in the message. He says, I say this as bluntly as I can to wake you up to the stupidity of what you're doing. I love the way the message says it. Guys, what you're doing is stupid. Is it possible that there isn't one level-headed person among you who can make fair decisions when disagreements and disputes come up among you? I don't believe it. And here you are taking each other to court before people who don't even believe in God. How can they render justice if they don't believe in the God of justice? These court cases are an ugly blot on your community. In other words, he's saying when Christians bicker and fight, when there's jealousy and pride and anger and stuff among you, guess what? The world looks on and goes, why would I want to be a part of that? It's a blot on a stain on the community. And then this is the, this is the verse that jumped off the page to me as I was studying it. Look what it says. It says, wouldn't it be far better to just what? To just take it, to let yourselves be wronged and then forget it. And some of us are so fighting for, but that's not right. And they did this and they hurt me and this is not fair. And Paul says, no, you know, what would be better to just get to a place where, yeah, Maybe it's not fair and maybe they don't, they're getting something they don't deserve and I'm not getting what I deserve and all of that. But in the end, God is faithful. And so it's better for me to just let it go and forgive it and forget it and trust God's goodness in life.